Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I'm uh, on here solo today. Frank is uh, with his fiance in Florida for some reason. So I actually get to uh, have the pleasure of interviewing a guy that I've looked up to for quite some time, even though he he doesn't know that. Um, Wyman Menzer from uh, the great state of Texas. What's going on, man? Oh, it's just uh, we just got a little shower yesterday after a big windstorm, so everything's looking looking pretty pretty nice today. Oh. <laughs> So I, I had heard about you uh, from a lot of people up in the panhandle all the way down to, uh, you know, the Davis Mountains. Your name had popped up. Um, one of the well, the first things was uh, you were the, the official uh, photographer for the state of Texas. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of a title type thing, but I was awarded that in uh, 1997 by the uh, – the the legislature and and the governor George W. Bush at the time. Gotcha. So what did that entail? If they needed a photograph of something, they just used your photos, or no? It's more symbolic. I mean, it's you know, it's um, I think probably the reason uh, that they is actually a, a state representative that got it started, and then then a, like a senator got a hold of it, and then they got the ball rolling. Is because I my work pretty well covers all aspects of Texas from history to landscape, skyscape to, uh, uh, to, uh, you know, lifestyle, a little bit of everything. It, it more, more or less identifies what Texas is all about. A lot of photographers will just specialize in one thing, landscape or, you know, people or sports, but I've done a little bit of it, uh, of it all. Gotcha. So, with that um, title, and I kind of figured it was that, just looking through your, your photos, you, you kind of cover a little bit of everything on there. Uh-huh. Did you get to, I mean, what are some of the, the more, I guess, things that are maybe near and dear to your heart that, that you've gotten to photograph in, in Texas? Anything where some people tell me the Alamo or they'll go photograph the Riverwalk? What, uh, anything well, for you? Yeah, well, I steer clear of that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I have photographed Alamo and have photographed the Riverwalk, but that's more, more or less, you know, a completing a job, an assignment, something, you know, like I was doing a book on the history of Texas uh, with Andrew Sansom years ago, and I think in 95, uh, Texas Lost, and then another one, Texas Pass, I think that's when I shot the Alamo. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't really bother with it because it's been shot to pieces, you know, basically. Uh, it shot the pieces back in, you know, 1830 something, and uh, and then shot the pieces with photographers. And I try to steer clear of those types of subjects and and gravitate more to areas and things that the average person doesn't get to see. And so and so, whenever I, I want my uh, legacy to be, hey, he shoots things that that are out there that we all would love to see, but very few of us ever get to. Gotcha. And, I, you know, looking through, you do you do a lot of uh, trapping and everything, but you do a lot of photography of, of wildlife predators, specifically coyotes and bobcats. You've got some pretty amazing yeah. photos. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, of course, you know, I became enthralled with uh, coyote behavior when I was just a kid, about, you know, 14 years old. I was raised on a, on a ranch here in Knox County, which is uh, the Rolling Plains. And uh, my dad was a foreman. It's a 27,000-acre ranch, and it was all along the Brazos River in that rough country. And so um, first, you know, it was just hunting. And then I became interested in, in learning more about their behavior. 
you know, specifically food habits. And so whenever I was in college there at Texas Tech with a, in, into wildlife management, um, I actually endeavored for one year to conduct a research on my own time. And so I would collect species. I would shoot coyotes and extract their stomachs and analyze the, uh, the content. I'd write all this stuff down, and, and I would, um, uh, you know, put it in, in areas where they were like, like you had your uh, deep soil types, mesquite, versus your badlands, which is uh, juniper primarily. And then I would uh, separate these areas, and this is where the coyotes were taken. This is where, and and uh, also I would identify the species of vegetation that uh, that defined all of these areas. And so I had all this data, and I did it for a full year, and then presented it to one of my major professors. And I'll never forget when I walked up to him after class. It was in wildlife habitat management, a senior level course, and. I said, hey, Dr. Spinner, I want to show you this, this information. He looked at it, and he looked up at me. He said, why did you do this? And I said, because I wanted to learn. And he said, well, we're going to go get you a grant. And so he went down to my major professor, who was Dr. Eckert, Daryl Eckert, and he looked at me and he said, we're going to get you a grant. And so we wrote up a proposal, and they obtained a grant from, I don't know, National Science Foundation or somebody. And for the next year, then I got paid to do the same thing that I did for free the year before. Well, how that? <laughs> and so it, it was great. Yeah. And how old were you at this time? You in your early twenties? I, I was. Yeah, I was in my early twenties. Late. Uh, yeah, about twenty-one. Uh huh. And uh, I had I drove an old Ford Bronco, nineteen sixty-six U thirteen Roadster convertible, and during the winter time, it had a canvas top on it. Windows were knocked out. Uh, it was just plastic windows, and they got knocked out by mesquite trees. And so I had uh, toe sacks over the windows. And, uh, <laughs> oh, it was cold in there. So I drove that thing six years, nearly froze to death. But I was 20 years old, you know, in my 20s. And, you know, back then you could kind of oh, be okay with that kind of stuff. But, man, I'd burn up in the summer hunting coyotes and freeze in the winter. But, man, I loved what I was doing. I bet. Did you start trapping at a real young age as well? Well, I did. Uh, back before I was 10 years old, I was just trapping mainly skunks and raccoons and possums, that type of thing. And uh, and then whenever we initiated the research program, um, they wanted to add some ancillary studies. Like one of them was uh, germination rate of seeds extracted from coyote feces versus cattle or just you know, mesquite bean that you pick up, how quickly do they germinate versus the, the mesquite beans taken out of coyote feces? And then also, there was one on uh, oh, hell, the home range of coyotes where I had to trap coyotes and put ear tags in their ears and release them. And then hopefully either trap them again, shoot them, or someone else would, uh, would take them. And then they would return the tags to me, and then I could determine where they were caught versus where they were they're finally killed or, or recaptured and uh all that was so interesting it just i mean i was immersed in it it was it was grand well when did you get into photography well uh that then uh the the professor daryl Eckert, of course they want to document everything you know the props and they say hey here's an old argus and uh, there's some kodachrome down in the basement in the wildlife lab down there and get you get you a handful of that and and document your data and what you do in the field. 
and it was an old twin lens reflex, you know, but it beat the heck out of a seven dollar one twenty seven that I had. And and I thought, wow, man, I mean I like this. You can focus, you can close you know, get close ups and so when I had to turn the camera back, well then I went over to Plains Camera on thirty fourth and they were having a sale and I purchased an old Canon TL with a fifty millimeter lens and that's where it all began. Gotcha. Well, uh, things have changed quite a bit. What are you, uh, what are you running for photography gear now? Uh, if I'm doing uh, predator work or whitetail, you know, any, anything dealing with fast moving, uh, subjects, I use a one DX Canon one DX. You're a good and, man. Uh, that... my, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a hawk. That's an army tank right there. And, uh, and a 100 to 400, uh, four, five to five, six, uh, L. Gotcha. That's a, that, yeah. that's what I got a one DX three and that it is like carrying a human body, but it does take damn good photos and it's amazing in low light. Um, did you, yeah. did it, did it take you a while to wrap your head around the digital age or did you pick it up pretty quick or did you kind of just oh, progress with time? I just kind of progress. At first I didn't lie. I didn't want to do it because I love film. I love Velvia. You know, I went, I came from the Kodachrome years, Kodachrome 25, 64, Kodachrome 200, a 100, and two, then finally 200, and or 64, 200. I think I don't. I think they had uh, something else at 100. But anyway, then I went to Velvia, and uh, and loved Velvia. And then when they came up with the digital, I mean, I fought it, and shot a Hasselblad also. Still have it, and uh, and I still and I still shoot it on occasions. And then I started out with you know at Canon whatever it was, a 10 or a 20. I forgot what those earlier ones was. And I, and I just didn't like it. And then worked my way up through, through the various species of cameras that came along and the, the models and uh, the 5D Mark II, 5D Mark II, Mark III. And I still, and I went to a 7D Mark III as a backup, but I don't like, uh, I don't like the sensor, the smaller sensor. And so, uh, and so I just kind of use it. I have it in my pickup and, and with my 400 five, six, it's just a straight five, six and a, and a, a 16 to 35, just as a, a quick grab camera. If I need something real quick and don't have my, my main gear with me, but right now, right now my go-to stuff is a Canon, uh, 5D Mark III and a 1DX. Have you looked at any of the uh, the new, like the R5 or the new mirrorless cameras with the new RF lenses? Or uh, are, yeah, are you bowing out yeah. of that and not going to progress? I'm, I'm bowing. I'm bowing out <laughs> of the mirrorless, and and I'm and I'll probably get the the five the RS 5D RS. I think that's what it's called. I'll probably get one of those because I because with my landscape uh, shooting. I really like that that large uh, that you know the 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 large files that it shoots because I'll I'll do I'll I'll sell some stuff to to corporations you know big huge blow ups for their offices and conference rooms and that would be perfect for that those that type of shooting. I I kind of went the other way. I I uh, I did start with a 5D Mark III and then uh, I went into kind of the mirrorless world and then. I durability was my issue. So I, I went back and I, I shoot a 5d Mark four and a one DX for I, the, the five D's not too bad size wise. That one DX is not something I'm going to backpack in with for 10 miles just cause it's so heavy. But 
I uh, some of the low light photos, the things I can do with that camera and low light, and it's at twenty frames per second. It, it, it's a monster. Um, I I think that um, probably the the mirrorless craze is definitely taken over. Like I said, the biggest thing with me is durability, especially dust in that uh, great state you live in. Uh, I mess around the Davis Mountains a lot, and oh my lord, that'll screw up a sensor fast, especially when it's a mirrorless sensor. So, <laughs> oh my goodness, you know these big ranches over where we live, the four sixes and the Wagner and Pitch Park, Matadors, those these big outfits that I have to shoot for real estate. Uh, the dust is is a substantial. I mean, it's big time issue, uh, and I just um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have to. I, I, it's bad enough to be on your on your on your sensor of your of your one DX or your five D. You know, it pisses you off so bad when you have to shoot a shot, and then all of a sudden there's this looks like a bird flying through it, and it's a big <laughs> dust spot <laughs> when you swap from a sixteen to thirty five to a twenty four to one hundred five, and then of course you go into Photoshop, and I don't like that at all. So if it's worse mirrorless, I don't want it. It's definitely worse. I pr- I promise you that. And you know you you got to pay the piper. Um, you carry a little bit more weight, but. I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's worth it. Do you mess around down on the Wagner then quite a bit? Uh, I did. You know, I shot a book on the Wagner um, back in the mid two two thousand. Well, it's two thousand eight, two thousand nineteen. I was there for five years, and uh, and I shot yeah thousands and thousands of images all over. I mean, I had the whole run of the place um, explored all aspects of it. In fact, there are some um geological features that are now gone since i shot that book one of them was a hoodoo uh over in one pasture and and i went, drove by the, just recently down the highway and it's gone uh the weather took it down and then there was a place called cowboy rock that had old names dating back to the 20s and it was a it was a job to get back there to to that particular uh rocket that thing probably weighed as much as two pickups. And a big storm, windstorm came in and blew it off the pedestal and shattered the rock. No kidding. And so, yes, those things are gone, but I got them. They're in the book. That's uh, that's amazing. Now, the Wagner, that's the largest uh, ranch in Texas or is something like that. Am I, am I correct? No. I can't remember how that worked. It's the largest ranch under one cent. Yeah, okay. It's not in, it's, yeah, it's not in, in sections, you know, like five miles between pastures it's like all encompassed in one fence under one fence how big is that thing i think 500 uh 525,000 something like that yeah that that's a big piece of pr- i've got a buddy that hunts down there quite a bit and uh their coal bucks are what most people would die for on that ranch they got some big deer <laughs> yeah yeah I, uh, when i was there uh you know all the time um you know they it was just tremendous numbers of deer i only saw a couple of really really big ones but my interest was not in just shooting deer it was in all aspects of of, you know ranch work and the landscape the sky you know just the river just uh, uh, the definition of the the, uh the whole personality of the wagner ranch and uh, so uh, and henry chapel you know did a super job of, uh, of the text but yeah, I run. I would run across a big buck every once in a while. I remember one one day, 
tremendous deer. Had a double, let's see, he had a double row of G two threes and fours on each main beam. Uh, it was a cold morning, and so this guy, I'll stop and grab a 500 millimeter and poked out the window. Of course, he was 300 yards away and following the track of a doe in a creek bottom, and I just went, whoa. You know, we're talking 180, 190 type type deer and a huge body, just an enormous body. I see a lot of big deer across, you know, on the various ranches I go to. This deer was big. And when was that? That was back in probably 2009, something like that. Were some of your better whitetail photos, did they come off the Wagner, or you got kind of a honey hole for getting whitetail no, photos? No, I get all my, my good whitetail stuff uh, uh, down in South Texas on the San Antonio Viejo. Oh, God. Gotcha. Uh, the East Foundation. Yeah. Okay. That was our that was our last big, big project was on the San Antonio Viejo. I, I've been I've been photographing down there since 2013. They they commissioned me to go down and, and shoot everything about that uh, about that 150,000 acre ranch. You know, down to the lizards, uh, down to the insects, all the way up to shooting you know cattle work out of a chopper, drones, everything. And so we were down there for. Uh, well, we still go down there every every year around Christmas, and I still shoot on the on the Viejo. Gotcha. Now, is that when you go down there? Um, well, for for example, with that project, um, is that something they contract you out to do, or and and how do you get? Is are you just that well known where they know to to grab you to come photograph it and kind of document it? Well, what what happened? Well, a lot of it is you know is notoriety, but on this particular one, a friend of mine was. Uh, it is good friends with the CEO, you know, of the East Foundation, and they wanted him to shoot this project, but it was so enormous. It was so big, even though it's 500 miles from my house and my buddy lives half that distance, he called me and he said, man, it's too big. I can't do it. And he's, he's older <laughs> than I am. You know, he's, he's been to Vietnam. He was in Vietnam like in 65, you know, so, hell, I was still in high school. But uh, but this guy, you know, and, and understandable, and I said, he told me what the deal was. I said, heck, yeah, I'll go down and look at it. So uh, my wife and I drove down, and we met with uh, with the CEO, Neil Wilkins, and and David uh, Langford, who called me, and we drove around. And, and it was in the drought. The, the ranch looked terrible. But I said, shoot, yeah, man, I'm, I'm game. Let's roll. So we would go down once a month, except for July and August. Cause you don't want to be in South Texas in July and August because old Lucifer's down there then he's enjoying the heat. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but otherwise we went down there every month. We'd spend, you know, three to five days every month shooting and for three years. And then it was decided that they wanted to do a book on the place. So we continued shooting and then we finished the book and it's out. It's, uh, uh, the San Antonio Viejo ranch of South Texas. Horses to ride and cattle to cut. San Antonio Viejo Ranch of Texas. Gotcha. Well, speaking of projects, Yeti did a kind of a docu documentary video type of thing on you, didn't they? They did, and I'll tell you, that has been such a positive thing. Yes, uh, they came, uh, Ben O'Brien and uh, one of the other, uh, please forgive me for not remembering, but great guy, super guy there of Austin. I'm seven years old, so I don't remember names like I used to. And they came and spent a couple of days with me. And uh, 
and I, they said, uh, hey, we'll, we'll be back. I said, look, I said, if you guys don't think you have enough material, I said, don't think you have to do this. I'm not expected. They said, no, we've got material for even more than one deal. So they brought, you know, camera crew in. God, it was like 12, 12, a crew of 12 people that sold three cameras. I think spent three days shooting, and it was it was fantastic. They were so good and so nice. Is that was that is it called Chasing Light? Is that what that's called? Chasing Light, yes, Chasing Light. Gotcha. I know Sloan Brown, who who took Ben O'Brien's spot at Yeti, was obviously the person that gave uh, the the introduction to to you to me. Um, and he, he you know, he, super cool guy, super close friend. But Scotty Campbell, I I guide for him down Scotty. in. Uh, oh, is it Scotty? Yeah, Scotty. Scotty came, I think. I think it was Scotty, Scott. Scott, okay. Yes, yes. Because I went to his house to do a, a podcast with, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm so embarrassed. His dad was a singer. Oh, gotcha. That's a di- I know who you're talking about. This is a different Scotty Campbell. It, Scotty's up in the panhandle. I know who you're talking about. He works for Yeti. Okay. Yes, he works for Yeti. And, and uh, we did this podcast at his home a couple of years ago with uh, this 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 really nice guy down on the coast who's fishing he's a fishing guy and and uh but his dad was like a rock and roll singer oh goodness i am so sorry that i can't recall well you've uh led a long life and met a lot of people can't really blame me <laughs> i can't remember my own name most of the time <laughs> yeah. well, uh, believe me when you get to be 70 things don't come as easy as they used to <laughs> <laughs> well my my friend scotty uh who lives up in the panhandle uh you know he had brought you up to me Years ago, when I first, you know, I guess whatever, three years ago, he said, do you know who Wyman Menzer is? And I said, well, I've heard the name. He's a photographer, but I didn't, you know, that much about you other than you, you know, in Texas and you were a photographer and uh, they had hounded me, um, you know, multiple times, uh, you know, hey, you got to get him on, you got to get him on. And then Sloan and I were down um, with a bunch of other guys in the Davis Mountains and Sloan's like, man, when I get home, I'll just link you guys up in a text and get him on the, That's you know, great. the podcast. Great. So. I, uh, my, mm-hmm. my ex-wife is actually from, from Texas. She's from the, the hill country. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I, first time I'd been down to Texas was, I don't know, 98 or 99 or something. I went down there to, oh, Dripping Springs, Fredericksburg area. And, um, yes, sir. ate way too much barbecue. I do, do remember that. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's easy to do. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, whatever years got divorced, traveled the world, did my thing. And then years later I met Scotty who lives up in the panhandle and we hunt quite a bit together and I guide for him. And, you know, your name had popped up off and on that whole time. And I wasn't into photography back in the day, but I think I was, um, it was either in Fredericksburg or Dripping Springs. Some of your photos, you know, were on the wall somewhere. And, and honestly, the only reason why I even remember was Wyman Menzer is not like you know, Joe Smith, right? That name is unique. <laughs> yeah. right? So your, your name was under yeah. the photos. That was probably in 2001. Um, good yeah, long, long time ago. So it's kind of weird how it all came full circle where obviously you're on a pod, I'm on a podcast with you now, but you, you, well, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, it's pretty amazing work you've done now. I mean, in, since you've, you've been in Texas your entire life, haven't you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have. I, I used to, Travel back in the 80s, uh, I shot a lot for sports and field, field and stream and outdoor life. I mean, a lot. I shot like 48 or 50 covers for them. 
and not to mention all you know hundreds of inside images uh you know on on articles and wrote some articles but uh or a couple of smaller pieces but i used to go to you know alaska and up into canada and, and uh, montana and different places arizona but uh, then i pulled my horns back i thought you know texas has such a diversity you know we have mountains we have desert we have uh, the coast we've got forest of east texas we've got the plains we have a little bit of it all and so i thought well i've i've got a lot of countries to cover yet uh, in my home state well speaking of that what would be your top three places to photograph and without screwing up your top three places and everybody traveling there, what would be your top three places you don't mind screwing up uh, to photograph in, in Texas? Golly. You know, each one of them has its own special, you know, element that I really, really like. You know, South Texas I like in the winter around Christmas. Boy, you can't beat it. There's so much vibrancy, so much, so much energy in the brush, you know, the deer in the rut. You know, everywhere you go, you know, it's just it's just everything is on the move. Um, I like the plains in the winter uh, because I like snow. You know, like like heaven forbid we had that big uh, big punt come through here about a few weeks ago and got down to you know chill index twenty below zero, uh, real temperature four or five below zero, and I got some great images in. Of course, I like the big ranch country up here. I do a lot of that that, that old big ranch stuff. Um, I like East Texas in the spring. You know, the dogwoods uh, blossoming along the the Natchez and the Angelina. Uh, the hill country in the in the springtime is gorgeous with all the flowers. I I'll be going down there in just a few days to shoot on a ten thousand acre ranch on the James River. Uh, just for the owner, just shoot just specifically for him, just shoot uh, some material. But but each each area of Texas has its own season, I guess I should say. Uh, West Texas, far West Texas, out uh, in the Big Bend, October, September, October. If you still have the monsoonal flow of rain, wow, you cannot beat that country. Man, I've been up in there where you'll see a big storm occurring up in the mountains. And you beat a beat a trail down into the bottom, and all of a sudden here comes a here comes a flash flood, and you can't beat that. I mean, you're talking about some excitement. Uh, you know, pick a drone, uh, you know, take a drone off and fly it up the canyon, and all of a sudden there you see a wall of water coming, and it just it just boggles the mind. Yeah, well, and like some of the things that you're talking about, those are accessible for. I think sometimes people think they may not be accessible for them to. Uh, maybe to photograph or, or it's unattainable. One thing I'm kind of finding out in photography, going the distance to just get your ass out there and do it goes a long ways. You're not, I mean, on the private ranches, obviously that's something people may not be able to do, but a lot of the things you're talking about are wide open for the public and can, can be photographed oh, sure. anytime. Sure. Sure. There, there are just many places in the hill country that's, uh, of course, you go, there's going to be a lot of people uh, down down in that region in the springtime um you can count on it um i don't particularly like to be photographing around a lot of people but uh but uh when you work in hill country that that's a that's kind of a, a downside to it but there's a lot of hill country to shoot and you can take those side roads all you have to do is be mindful of the landowners and don't jump across the fence and you know, you can stand on the highway side and shoot over the fence, and that's not an issue. But 
there's there's some pretty uh there's some pretty uh tough people down there that if you go across the fence you're gonna have to pay the fiddler for the dance yeah what did uh take them to the train 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 station is that the the word <laughs> yeah yeah there's you don't want to <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> fuck around in texas in certain spots i i, I i'm uh, a fan of that mentality myself um Texas yeah. has very liberal uh, Second Amendment rights, which I I like, and I like the fact that if you're poaching someone's land, you got a good chance of getting shot, and that doesn't bother me a bit. Um, def- te- Texas is that de- well, except maybe Austin. Austin's a little bit weird now, but um, yeah, yeah, out there. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, would you say yeah. like Austin? Uh, it uh, has too many Californians now, like most of Colorado, or yeah, just yeah. kind of changed over time. It- it does. It does. It's it's got a lot of a lot of real strange strange characters hanging around down there. I last time I was there, oh my goodness, it might have been um my goodness when was last I believe the last time I was in Austin is whenever they debuted uh Chasing Light and they threw a party for me up on a on a top of a building up there and had a really they showed the the film and, and had a big meal and, and everything. And, uh, of course, I had to spend a couple of days there and, and thoroughly enjoyed being around everybody. But but I uh, I saw some, some characters there that uh, generally are not there. I mean, I'm not generally around that kind of people. I don't like walking down the street and some some goofball sitting on the corner calls you Bat Masterson or, or, or Wyatt Earp. <laughs> hey, Wyatt Earp, how about, how about give me 10, you know? And I'm just going, <laughs> get up and and work for it yeah yeah no no shit i would have to say that you probably could spend an entire year sitting in one street corner in austin and photograph some pretty crazy shit oh yeah 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 that's uh not my not my favorite place to hang out <laughs> at all got some good food there but uh otherwise you know we've got a cali we got a group of cal- uh, family california has moved into benjamin i mean town of 254 people and uh, and I went down there to visit them. I wanted to kind of see what was going on here, and uh, and I could hear a rifle going off out in the brush. And I and the wife, the, the lady, came to the door and I introduced myself. And I said, "I'm I'm from here in Benjamin, and I hear you guys, California." And she said, "You bet." She's a school teacher, and she said, "My boys and husbands out shooting their 22s." And I thought, "Okay, there's a plus." When they came in, well, I had a good visit with them. I told them, I said, well, I said, welcome to Benjamin. Welcome to Texas. But I said, uh, I hope you'll leave California behind. And they looked at me funny. And I, and then they said, we don't like California. And they have turned out to be really good people here in Benjamin. I mean, he's a master electrician. Name is Joe. He's a great guy. Great guy. Yeah, I think he I think he thinks I'm a little goofy because I saw him here here a while back, walking out of a restaurant, and I said, "Hey, Joe, what are you doing? Go, wh- where are you going with that gun in your hand? Going downtown to shoot your old lady because she's running around another man?" <laughs> you know, Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. Yeah, right? Jimi Hendrix. Yep. <laughs> he looked he looked at me kind of funny, and then he grinned real big. <laughs> he walked on. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Is now is is Benjamin? Is that just north of Abilene? Uh, yes, sir. It's about eighty miles north of Abilene. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't hunt too far from where you're at. Actually, it's well, I have to buy you dinner. Um, oh, kind of, oh, not too far from um, 
Oh, Shamrock, I guess, Wellington area, which I think's just just north sure. of you a little ways. Yeah, I think that's going to be about a, probably a hundred and fifty miles north of me, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, I, I hang out in that area of Miami, Shamrock, Wheeler, um, and then over yeah. towards uh, Eric, oh, Texola area in Oklahoma. I kind of bounce back and forth uh, hunting in there, and then. Uh, you know, just uh, my buddy I told you about, Scotty, his family lives there. I go, in fact, I'm heading down there to Miami in a few days to go shoot a bunch of turkeys in the face. Um, you guys got good turkey hunting yeah. down there. <laughs> yeah, that, that Miami country, Canadian, uh, that's really, really attractive uh, landscape down there. I spent I spent a lot of time there when I was shooting um, the Texas Rivers book with John Graves back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when I traveled that whole Canadian River all the way from New Mexico to the Oklahoma border and I just love that Canadian River country. It is amazing my my wife she'd never really been to Texas and kind of had a oh probably a preconceived notion of what Texas was like and then we we got in that panhandle uh, area where you're talking about and she was like it's just different and like you said in Texas so big you've got like when we we hunt down on the Davis Mountains people get their ass kicked quickly cuz they don't expect six seven thousand foot mountains in texas they they think of flatter country and then obviously you've been in the yeah. davis area it's, it is not flat at all yeah. um yeah and then the panhandle we took her to the uh, paladuro canyon which hell i didn't even mm-hmm. know that was there till i got and that's an, an amazing place too and you just don't expect to come off a wheat field and have a thousand foot drop to the bottom of a canyon a hundred yards over it's pretty amazing country oh yeah that's that's amazing country and and it boasts of some some tr- incredible history uh, with the uh, the Texas uh, the Indian Wars in the Panhandle. It's 18, they call it the 1874 Indian Wars. Uh, you had Ronald McKenzie and and about three other of the colonels and generals that that worked that region to to put pinchers on the on the Comanches and the Kiowas and. And to know that history, and I am a really big uh, student of, of Texas Indian history and the buffalo hunting era, and been to the battle site where Ronald McKenzie, you know, uh, took the horses from Paladura over to the Tool Canyon area and shot 1,400 horses. And, and it's kind of haunting to, uh, to stand on those sites and to know that uh, that actually happened and in, in not that distant uh, past of our of our state and the history of Texas. They actually have written a, a book uh, about that that uh, that war. I guess um, I'd looked for it. Scotty had told me about it and uh, went over like what you're talking about. Some some pretty amazing or, or or crazy stories that that are actually true with that whole history of that area. Yes. You, I don't know. This kind of off the subject. You, uh, does a guy named Kent ring a bell that that has uh, quite a bit of land in that? Uh, let's see, Silverton country, uh, right off the Paladuro there. Kent. Uh, I can't remember his last name. He he uh, he's a guy we we guide off his property down there, and he's got a bunch of Aldad. It's on the northern side of the Paladuro, just out of Silverton, and uh, he had said. Uh, you know, of course, you probably get this a lot that you guys were were friends or, or knew each other, but his oh, name's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ring. Oh, absolutely. They're on the on the Tool Canyon Ranch. Yeah. Yep. Right in that area. Oh, Tool yep. Canyon. Oh, yes. No, I tell you, I've spent a ton of time in those Tool Narrows. I've spent a many a night camped out in the bottom of that thing. 
just, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, that's right where in that area is where we, um, you know, we outfit out of for, for our dad in Kent. Uh, okay. He's, he's a great, you can tell he's bored because when he comes to camp, he'll talk your leg off. He could talk Bin Laden out of hiding. Um, he'll sit there and shoot the <laughs> shit with you for hours at a time. Oh yeah. That, that, they are a great family. I'll tell you, I just, I just, uh, the, the Cogdell family, it's, it's, uh, uh, they're the ones who, you know, who, uh, founded the ranch years ago. And, uh, they're just, they're just tremendous people. And I used to do a lot of hunting, uh, just coyote calling out there. That was before, that was before all the leasing craze went on. That was, there was nobody out there doing any hunting. And they always asked me if I'd, you know, be interested in hunting coyotes out there. And I said, oh, sure. Uh, I'd love to. And it was just great, great country to, to climb hills, you know, climb the canyons and, and take photographs uh, of, the, of just that tremendous uh, tool narrows area because it's like 50 yards wide at the bottom and 800 feet deep at that one point, that pinch point. I just, I just really, uh, that's a good family of people. Yeah, they are. They're super, super nice. And, uh, and he's a, he's a funny dude. He, um, I packed a, an Audad out of the bottom of that Canyon to the, the top. Most it was a client and I didn't know if, yeah, I don't know shit about who has what land. Well, you know, I know where my boundaries are and where I am not going to get in trouble. So I knew I yeah wasn't sure if I could head down, but I knew I could head back up and uh, he basically told me I was out of my fucking mind when I got to the top and I should have went a different way. I'm like, well, shit, Ken, I don't live here. I don't know. I said, I don't want to piss yeah. anybody off. And I know in Texas you can yeah. get shot for trespassing. So I'm going to be hopping no fences, but good dude. I had a TA one time when I was teaching at tech down at junction and, uh, actually it was, a it was an interpreter. I said, it was a sign. I had one student who was hearing impaired. And so, this this uh the school the college actually put the person that could tell me you know set, would sit there with sign language and tell the student what I was saying and so he took took off one afternoon and went over around Fredericksburg over in there and happened to just step over a, a, a down fence you know he didn't even know he was trespassing and, and boy here come a rifle shot and uh about after two or three rounds uh, he pulled out. So yeah, it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. They take it serious down, down there. Um, <laughs> what are some of the other, you know, I always, uh, I've, I've heard many, many times about your, how, uh, I guess you say fluent you are with the history of Texas. Is there any highlights or different things about that Texas that, that you find people, uh, find, I guess, more fascinating than others with your, you know, all your time down there and all the different things you've done? I mean, you mean that people would go visit or what? Oh, not necessarily visit, but like, you know, you talked about the history of the, the Paladuro Canyon and, and, and the, the Indian Wars yeah. down there. And that, you know, that was something, obviously, I I didn't know shit from apple butter, right? I, they started telling me about it, and here I am standing on a place with so much history, and I didn't know. I mean, people obviously know the history of the Alamo. Um, you know, everybody knows yeah. the, well, I don't know if there's history of the river walk other than there's a shit ton of shopping there, but maybe some other, yeah. you know, history like in the Paladuro that, that is more yeah. unknown, but, but, but a kind of an amazing story. Well, I'll tell you a good one. Uh, just recently I did a post on Facebook and I may have done it on Instagram. I'm not sure I'd have to look, but, um, I had to go shoot a ranch 
uh, of the lodge of a, of a ranch just a few days ago. And there's a place there that's on, on the, this ranch. Uh, it's well known if you read the history about the buffalo hunting in Texas. It's called Raft City. And, uh, and, I, and I did a, a post on that, and it blew people's minds. I mean, they, they could not believe. So many people went, wow, I had no idea that this, this, this stuff went on in Texas. And uh, but this Raft City was a buffalo hunters camp, sort of a rendezvous point, and it was established in 1875, and it only was there for only like two and a half years. But Charles Raft came from Dodge City, Kansas. Whenever the buffalo killing uh, ended, uh, was pretty well wrapped up in Kansas in 75. He had heard about the big uh, hunting that was going on. In stone, uh, in, in what they call the Double Mountains region, and so he put a compass on his uh, on his saddle horn and had a bunch of freight wagons. And he brought sharp rifles and kegs of powder and and uh, pigs of lead and and uh, and provisions and established his camp 18 miles southwest of uh, Double Mountains. All that's left that resembles anything of a town are two graves. One Tom Lumpkins and one of Spotted Jack, and uh, but in that two and a half year period, one million one hundred thousand buffalo hides were purchased at that spot. You say one and million one hundred thousand? One million one hundred thousand buffalo hides <laughs> were purchased at that one spot. Son of a bitch! And and yeah. there's nothing and left now. There's nothing left. Some rocks, some rocks lying about, but it's it's in a wheat field. It's in Wheatfield, but there's an iron fence around those two graves with a gravestone. One of them says Tom Lumpkins, killed like in March of 1877 in a gunfight. And uh, Spotted Jack was killed in a, in a fight with the Comanches. And uh, and people don't realize that that went on in Texas. You know, you drive down 82 from, from Benjamin to Lubbock. And when I would drive, when I was teaching at Tech, uh, once a week, you know, people go, God, I don't know how you stand that drive. You know, I go, well, you know what? You know, I made this drive since 1969 when I was a freshman at Tech, and I never really get tired of it except during a dust storm. You know, people may think that uh, that I get bored with it, but I don't because I think about the history that I've read, and uh, you know, I think about Renal McKenzie and R.G. Carter and Frank Collinson and John Cook and their descriptions, and Jay Wright Moore and their descriptions of that country before a plow ever hit it. And uh, and even in Lubbock, you go into Lubbock and you go down into uh, McKenzie Park. You have to cross McKenzie Park if you're going straight into town toward the Tech campus. And you think about the Indian Battle of 1877, whenever the civilian buffalo hunters attacked a, a band of Comanches there. Uh, yeah, all that stuff comes back to me, and, I, and I'm forever enthralled by it. As you say that, uh, you know, you don't get bored and you're enthralled by the, you know, the, the history. You said, what, you're you're 70 years old now? Yes, sir. Going back in time with this is kind of a stupid question, but I'm always curious because people ask me the same thing, and I'm, you know, a little over half your age. Going through everything you've done, living the life that you've led and, and doing the amazing things that you have, is there anything you would change, and what would your advice be to maybe a younger generation that was was raised and brought up differently than you to be able to live the life that you've you've led? 
And uh, and is there anything you would change? Yeah, it, there's nothing I would change. There there is nothing I would change. Uh, I have I've led a very charmed life. I mean, there's been hardships. You know, it's like everybody's going to have your obstacles that you have to overcome. I was married twice. I mean, I've been married twice. I think I, I'm I'm saying this be by God the last time I'm gonna get married. Uh, because I'm, I'm very proud of, of my my wonderful gal that I have now. She's she's my she's my rock, and she's also my business manager. She keeps me on the on the stick. But uh, but no, I tell you, I'm stepping outside here for a minute. So pretty this morning. You know, I'm a real traditionalist, and I know this goes against the grain of a lot of people. But I I just I just wish that younger people would get back to the traditional hunting style where you go out and you steal hunt. Uh, I guess you, this is aimed toward the people that's, that wants to hunt. But go out and, and take a, an old 30-30 and, and learn about tracking, learn about the life way of various species of animals. You can, do, you can learn so much by just going out and walking and hunting instead of just sitting and watching in a blind. I really... That goes against my grain. Um, I didn't ever knew what a blind was, a deer blind. I've never, ever killed a thing out of a blind. I think I did shoot a coyote one time. I was crawled up in a blind and called up a coyote, shot him with a 41 Magnum pistol. And uh, But other than that, I've never hunted out of a blind. And, uh, and you just you can't really get involved in the natural history of animals when they all they do is come to a feeder and eat. If you just get out and, and be more of a traditional Jack O'Connor type type person and Elmer Keith and get out and just just be involved. And and then as far as um you know uh, away from the outdoors or hunting, what advice would you give maybe a a younger generation to just uh you know go forward and chase your dreams is as stupid as that sounds, but I mean, you, you've been able to, it's not, well, I, it seems like you just went out and did it. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to do it. And I, and that, that's something that I would tell my classes. I taught, I taught photography, senior and graduate level at tech for 12 years, just one class a week. I was adjutant or adjunct professor, but, uh, I would tell them at the end of each semester, I said, follow your heart. I said, you're young. Said you're fixing to be out of college. You spent a lot of time sitting in classrooms. I said, if you have a dream, if you have a yearning in your heart, give it a shot for a couple of years. I know you've got debt. Everybody's got debt when they leave tech, when they leave the colleges, tech, UT, doesn't matter, a and Go out and, and give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, well, then come back, get established, and go on with life. But give your heart a chance. Give that dream a chance to uh, to materialize and to grow. And that's what I did. I, I mean, I chased it. I chased that thing up and down every trail from the Yukon Territory to the Rio Grande. And, uh, and it has been an adventure. And if I die and have a time to think about it before I do go down, if someone asks me the same question, I'll say I don't regret a thing. That's uh, that's pretty dang cool. I I would say from, you know, I'm at the point of my life where I got as many days behind me as I got in front of me. I'm right in the middle right now. That one of the yeah. things I was wrapping my head around recently when I was asked a question was, um, 
you know, I didn't worry about the, the cool stuff and the material things for, for many, many years and just focused on what I wanted to do. And then those things came later by the hard work that started earlier. And if you skip that sure. hard work, it's kind of a short-sighted goal. Uh, once you earn it, it just comes naturally. And, and it's, it's, you've earned yeah. it for 70 years. Um, and when you look at life, it seems like you've done where you're looking more for the adventure and the excitement than you are for material things. You get a lot more out of it and enjoy what's around yeah. you uh, and the history of what's around you. And, and you seem to preach that very, very well. I do, and, and it's uh, and I wish people, I wish young people would pay more attention to history. I'm a big World War II aficionado. Uh, I'm a pilot. I love to, to watch uh, Air Force and, and Army Air Force uh, documentaries. I uh, love old fighter planes and such. And and I just wish that young people would immerse themselves somewhat in the sacrifice of those people of years ago, my father's age, my grandfather's age. I mean, it, man, they saw some tough times. I mean, I've listened to my mother's stories about the great depression and when she lived in a dugout and in board houses that they had to put wet blankets up under the, up the, over the windows to be able to breathe during the dust storms. And, you know, these young people today, they, 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 they just don't, they, they need to understand that. They need to understand the sacrifice that it took for them to have what they have today. And, you know, like one of my philosophies, when I, when I can do it, now it, it hurts too much. But uh, I used to, uh, I would see, you know, a goal, see something I wanted to do, and I would go, God, man, that's, a, that's so hard to do. Or I would be suffering through something, like cold weather or something, and I'd go, wait a minute. And I would remember the words of older people and the stories they told me. And I thought, you know what? They did it and I can do it too. It's just going to make me a stronger, uh, a stronger person, more determined person. If I go ahead and go through with this. And I, I wish that, that more younger people could adopt that philosophy. I definitely agree with you. And, and one of the things that, um, that I, I, I think people that, that maybe take for granted, uh, t in today's day and age is, uh, in a lot of other parts of the world, people kill for the shit that we throw away, um, and, and what we, what yeah. we take for granted. And, um, you, yeah. you don't need material things to, to have fun. Don't get me wrong. If I want to take a really good photo, I like a really good camera, but you can oh, still yeah. take a, you can still take a good photo with your cell phone and, or with the normal, you know, point and shoot camera. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> And, and build up and not hit the easy button, you know, learn, learn what you're doing, learn the history. And then, you know, especially when it comes to photography, I think you're a lot better photographer when you know the history of a place you're photographing rather than just showing up and, and snapping photos, studying oh, sure. the history of it. Yeah. It's like going to Paladier Canyon or any of those, uh, these old historical places, you know, like that, like I, it's a private place. But I remember one time crawling into a cave, I knew it was there and I got permission to go there. I don't think you can go there anymore. Anybody can, but, but I crawled in this cave and there was all these petroglyphs all over the walls. And it was soldiers fighting Indians. So it had to be Indians that had been in that Renal McKenzie fight. And had I not known that place was there, I would not have took the initiative to ask to be able to get permission to go there 
and to document that. And I, I don't think anybody can go there anymore. But if you just understand these regions and and that way you can see the more the more the more macro aspects of it, and it and your photography becomes even stronger, you know, and more interesting to the viewership. No, I I agree. We've been on here almost an hour. I just couple more things. Do you still teach classes that are or, or anything for photography? Have you kind of stepped away from Not that? Not really. Yeah, I kind of stepped away from it a little bit. I I have it's. Uh, I get tired of talking about it the whole time. Actually, you know, f stops and and uh, <laughs> shutter the speed, you know, <laughs> concepts and all that stuff. And I just, I'd rather just go do it. And uh, of course, you know, my wife and I are now real estate agents, and we we sell ranch property. We don't deal in the, in the commercial or or the homes or anything. And so, uh, and I do a lot of that photography for other agents as well. And so I get plenty of photography in, and and so we just decided to step away from the from the workshops for a while at least. Gotcha. I enjoy them. I enjoy the I enjoy the connection with the people because man, we we just kind of sit around and talk, and and generally it's like an older genre of people, and they just want to just hear good stories. So we have such a good time, but. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step away from it from, for at least a little while. Well, man, I, I don't want to take up too much of your, much more of your time. It's, it's oh, an, fine. man, it's an honor to, to have you on the, the podcast. I, uh, I'm hoping maybe Thank next you. time I'm down there, I can hound you and we can go grab dinner and, and, uh, you tell more stories and I sure. can sit there in amazement. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Just holler anytime. We'll, we'll get her done. Well, cool. Can you, you want to let everybody know where they can find some of your, your work on social media and any websites or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, uh, is a, is a good place. And then of course I'm on Facebook, on Instagram. I don't do Twitter or anything like that. Um, uh, uh, but those, those are the locations you can see most of my stuff. Gotcha. And then I can say, you can just Google his name and all kinds of shit pops up. So if you, yeah. if you Google, you you can Google Wyman Menzer, and they're going to give you all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's like pages and pages of, of information that you can read up on. And then go go watch Chasing Light and the the other uh, video that we had, which is uh, West Texas. Uh, please go see that. That thing has had millions of views. Uh, you can see a Vimeo. Vimeo, okay. And uh, yes, and it's uh, it's had millions of views since we put it out a few years ago. And um, and it was just kind of a weekend thing. It was like one of the hey, we're put a video. We had a guy here, uh, Charlie Stout, that knew how to do it, and 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 basically he and Celinda put it together, and man, it turned into this incredible uh, sort of uh, insight of of what Texas is all about. Well, no, that that's amazing. And uh, for people that screw up the spelling, Wyman's pretty easy. W Y M A N. And it's uh, M E I N Z E R is the uh, is your last name, and all those videos. Just because I already looked, all the videos and the stories and the articles, everything pops up. And you were also named one of America's Outdoor Legends by uh, Field and Stream as well. And I, there's some articles about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I think the last thing I got was pretty cool. Let me walk over here and read it because it's a really neat little award it's called the Harvey Will. Living Legend Award, and it's for uh, um, the awareness of conservation through photography, basically uh, making people aware of, of uh, importance of conservation. And I received it uh, a 
couple of years ago. And then on, uh, up until then, they think there was only three of them given out. So it's a pretty cool deal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, Wyman, I'm going to get out of your hair here, but I thank you again. It's an honor having you on, and thank you for everything you've oh, done for the, the outdoors and uh, the sporting community. Um, yeah, it's just, just an honor to have you on here, so thank you. Well, thank you for having me and enjoyed it. Hope, hope your listeners have enjoyed it as well. I'm sure they will. Well, I will keep in touch, and next time I'm down your neck of the woods, I'll, I'll buy you a beer or whiskey or uh, a burger or something. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right, sounds good. Take it easy, man. Thank you again. You bet, Aaron. Bye-bye. Bye.